Hi, and welcome to Ann Arbor AF, a podcast for folks trying to figure out what's going on in Ann Arbor. We discuss current events in local politics and policy, governance, and other civic good times. I'm Jess Lita, and my pronouns are she, her. And I'm Molly Kleinman, and my pronouns are she, her. Michelle Hughes is taking a hiatus to focus her energy on the Jeff Hayner recall effort. So the two of us are here to help you get informed and get involved. It's your city. Before we get started, we have a website, annarboraf.com. You'll find all the episodes, show notes, and transcripts. Thanks again to all of our supporters who have donated to help pay for hosting and other costs. We super appreciate you guys. If you'd like to give us a few dollars, you can find us at coffee. Molly, did we decide that it's coffee? I assume so. <laughs> we always just end up spelling it out anyway, because it's coffee. <laughs> weird. Fair enough. All right. So you can find us uh, for a couple of dollars at ko-fi.com slash Ann Arbor AF. Today, we're talking about the next city council meeting coming up on Tuesday, July 20th. That's a Tuesday. It's not on Monday this week. We'll be touching on a few interesting agenda items, including water main breaks, city charter amendments, and a little light fangirling. A quick process note, we record this a few days before the council meeting, which means there will likely be some changes to the agenda between now and then. And I think we're gonna start off with a, something from the consent agenda that I was excited about. This is CA6, a resolution to approve a construction contract for universal access improvements at Argo Livery. I just wanted to call this out because uh, the Americans with Disabilities Act is 30 years old. And as a country, we're still really terrible about ensuring access, um, accessibility of our, like all of our public spaces, both the ones run by our governments and the ones run by private entities. And so I'm really glad to see the city just continuing to make moves to improve accessibility and specifically access to the Huron River for people with disabilities. So Gallup Livery apparently added an accessible easy launch in 2014, and this is going to be to add similar accommodations to Argo Livery plus a bunch of other things, including accessible pathways and accessible picnic area, accessible parking lot, and some green infrastructure changes. Uh, about more than half of the funding came from the Michigan DNR, and that's Department of Natural Resources. And I'm just excited to see that these changes are coming to Argo. That is exciting. I, I don't know that I would have thought to pick up on all of that on a construction contract line from the consent agenda. So I, I really appreciate you highlighting that. I am going to jump into many parts of the agenda with one single item, and that's the uh, early lease ordinance. Is that what ELO stands for? So this shows up a bunch of different places. You will see it in public hearings under PH1. You'll see it under second reading ordinances under B1, and you'll see it under new businesses and first reading C1. That's a bit confusing. I checked in with one of the co-sponsors of all three of those uh, pieces of legislation on the agenda, Council Member Travis Redina, who very helpfully responded <clears throat> to me doing my homework 20 minutes before the podcast and clarified that this ordinance has been kind of under construction for the last three and a half months and the overlays of amendments and changes and attachments and addenda were starting to get a little bit palimpsest like hard to read. So what the co-sponsors did, uh, Council Member Nelson, Council Member Redina, and now with Council Member Lisa Dish signing on as a co-sponsor, is that they've authored 
a new single very clean ordinance that incorporates all of the amendments that's been that have been discussed so far and that's really what's going to be coming forward so the public hearing and the second reading are going to likely be permanently postponed and then the first the one that's coming up for first reading is going to be the one that moves forward most likely that's my guess and you said all of the amendments but i think it's it's just all the amendments that have passed right so i think there was oh yes <laughs> there were some discussions at the last council mm -hmm. meeting i think council member briggs had introduced a possible amendment to shorten the amount of time so this is the the early leasing ordinance is about uh making landlords wait a certain number of days from the start of a lease till when they can start showing the apartment to other prospective renters and um, that timeline had been one of the big sticking points was how, how much time do we want to give renters balancing that across interests, like when finals are and the different needs of undergrads versus grad students. But, um, I believe it's still at 210 days. Is that correct? That's correct. Uh, so that's what this final one will still look like is the 210 days. Yep. So just kind of wanted to clarify that for those of you, and I know that there are many of you who are closely reading Legistar and frustrated that things are showing up in multiple places for, for all of you, for all four of us. Uh, I just wanted to clarify that that's what's going on. So it is uh, speaking as a renter and just generally as a human being, I've been a pretty enthusiastic fan of this ordinance and I, I understand why there's been a fair amount of work on it. I'm glad to see it closing in on being finalized, especially as we're coming in on uh, lease beginning time in August and September. All right, so that's the early leasing ordinance, ELO. I wanted to talk a little bit about this proposed development. Um, so this is on the agenda, public hearing two, and new business under boards and commissions one, because this is coming out of a recommendation from planning council, or excuse me, planning commission, uh, new development at 300 West Huron. So folks who are familiar with the downtown, this is the corner that the relaxation station is on, which is for some reason, a light teal blue adobe, like one story erstwhile gas station. <laughs> Surrounded by a lot of landscaping, like right downtown. <laughs> That's right. So there's a sentence you didn't expect to hear today, all of those things together. Uh, so that, um, the relaxation station is actually on one property. This developer is combining three properties on that corner um, and combining uh, taking away three old buildings and put in putting in one new building, which will be a six-story, 95-room hotel. That's on the same corner as Live. Uh, the sushi restaurant Miko is right next door to that. Uh, there's an enormous amount of parking at the Brown Block uh, and right across the street at Ashley. It's close to the corner of the M Live building and where those condos are. So just to give you a little sense of where it is. I had fun digging into the planning commission documents on this. I enjoyed reading. So this is D2, the zoning designation D2, which means it has, uh, it can incorporate a number of different uses. It could be office, it could be residential, it could be retail, it could be hotel. In this case, it's hotel. D2 also references how tall it can be. This one can be up to 60 feet tall and this one is. So that was interesting. I think my favorite part of the submission packet was the neighbor emails. So as part of any new development, the developer is required to notify neighbors within a certain radius of the proposed development. In this case, it was 500 feet, excuse me, about what's coming and invite their feedback. 
sometimes they do meetings, sometimes they actually I think they're required to do meetings, but they also typically offer the ability to, you know, contact them via phone or email. In this case, I believe they were all emails. And because 111 North Ashley, the M Life building has so many uh, condos and apartments in there, and there's so many businesses in that area, they sent out a ton, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of postcards. Out of those postcards, they got back five <laughs> neighbor responses, but they were really thoughtful. And I enjoyed reading the comments of people who care about where they live and work. There was one uh, person who owns a couple of um, retail buildings downtown or buildings with retail in them downtown and said, as a fellow business owner, welcome to the neighborhood. We're excited to see a hotel here because you guys are an important part of the 24 hour activation of a community, which I don't think I'd quite thought of in that way. And I, I appreciated that framing. Part of the reason that I bring it up, besides that it was just pleasurable to read, and if you want to just get your wonk nerd on for a moment, read the neighbor postcards, it's fun, was one of my favorite uh, suggestions, and all of the suggestions brought forward were pretty reflective and thoughtful, uh, which I appreciated. They said, we're excited to see hotel, you know, we live downtown, we're excited to be close to um, people who are traveling through here, which is not something you often hear at public meetings, so that was nice. And then they said, we hope that as part of the activation of the site, you can include retail or a restaurant or a bar, which is great feedback uh, and definitely a part of activating a site beyond you know one particular kind of person, one particular kind of use. The response that came back from the developer was, thank you, we really appreciate that. We do like to do that given the constraints, uh, the way that they said it was given the constraints of the lobby and given the constraints of the D2 zoning, we're actually not able to do that. And the reason the lobby is a constraint is because on this, okay, explicit language coming, on this tiny ass site, they are required to provide 14 parking spaces. If they did not have to require or have to provide 14 parking spaces on site, then we could have had something really fun there, like a little restaurant or a new little shop or something like that. So yet again, we are recommending on this podcast do away with parking minimums please especially in the downtown but everywhere yes 100 i will have a quick little sidebar which is that if you are worried about the relax station if that was a, a local business that you cared about they still exist they have relocated yes. to packard they're right next door to the packard location of the argus farm stop they've got a cute they're in like another cute little housey building uh, and they're still going strong so don't don't worry for the relax station <laughs> well, Molly, are you telling us to relax about it? Yes, I am. <laughs> it's I, one of those things that I see a lot on social media when mm -hmm. some small older, like small buildings are being taken over by big buildings and people worry about the businesses. There's, there's this, you know, ongoing discussion about the thing on Packard, a uh, thing on South Packard, where there's a B green, like they set right. green, like it's, a, it's sort of a warehouse kind of store. It's not super public facing. And people are like, well, but what about the green store? And I'm like, you have never been to the green store. <laughs> <laughs> so that when there's that reflexive concern about the business that was there before, mm -hmm. take a yeah. breath, relax. That's right. Relax, maybe go to the relaxation station. Definitely. Uh, so yeah, we should have a new hotel on that corner in the next uh, knowing Ann Arbor several years to decades, but no, in, in a few years, we should have no new hotel on that corner. So that's exciting. 
I also wanted to take a moment for no reason whatsoever, except that it makes me really happy to note that there is a resolution to appoint Jonathan Overpeck to the Energy Commission. I don't think on this podcast yet, at least we've taken any time to acknowledge individual appointments to commissions. Oh, but Jonathan's so amazing. So first of all, he's the Dean of the University of Michigan's School of Environment and Sustainability. So he's the C's Dean. He has multiple degrees in earth sciences, and he was recently appointed to the Governor's Council on Climate Solutions. Now, many of us uh, on this podcast are on public boards and commissions, uh, and many folks in the city, <laughs> many folks in the city are as well. But I just, I feel lucky for Ann Arbor, that somebody with this level of expertise and care for the thing, he basically the, the purview of the commission that he's joining um, is paying attention to things at a city level. So I'm grateful, I'm excited. Jonathan, high five to you. Speaking of sustainability, I also wanted to take a minute, this is also a fangirling moment actually, to talk about DC2, which is the res resolution to amend the A20 plan. Uh, and as a reminder, this is Ann Arbor's carbon neutrality plan, uh, specifically strategy six to implement sensors to monitor and strategies to manage heat, air quality, waterways, and flooding. I'm specifically speaking to the sensors part of this resolution and saying that I'm glad to see this. It can be easy to miss the importance of benchmarking or measuring where you are in this moment in order to have a better sense of where you want to be. And I just really can't overstate the importance of measuring at the outset so that you understand what improvement looks like on the other side of it doing that at the fifth and Detroit project where the DDA the downtown development authority excuse me, executed a construction project intended to increase pedestrian and bicyclist safety over there in an area which is typically both fairly car heavy and fairly foot, tra foot traffic heavy. They did some initial measurements and showed that car compliance when pedestrians and other people were in the road was below 50%. After the implementation of that project, car compliance was between 95 and 98%. Like it was an enormous increase. I also uh, just had the opportunity to watch the Netflix documentary, This Changes Everything, which is not about infrastructure at all. It's about the lack of gender parity in the film and television industries. But there was an interesting story in there where a journalist had talked about the major network's failure to provide gender parity at every level excuse me, of the production of different kinds of media. And one of the things that she called out was the network FX, saying that 89% of their uh, stories were directed by white men, 89%. The network director who had self-identified as a feminist was a little bit shocked at how poorly his network was doing and implemented fairly sweeping changes at every level of the business. And within, uh, I want to say 16 to 18 months, had gone from 89% white men led productions to 49% led by women in that short amount of time. So again, like measuring at the beginning, having the feeling that you're doing well or doing poorly is not enough. We have to know. And so, you know, look at FX, look at the environment. It's all kind of the same thing. So I just wanted to call that out that I'm glad to see this. Awesome. And now I'm going to jump in with uh, a few things that we're lumping together here. So we've got Consent Agenda 2, CA2, which is a resolution to ratify an emergency change order in a contract with Cadillac Asphalt. 
uh, as well as DC3 and DC4. DC3 and DC4 are both uh, resolutions to put ballot questions uh, on the next ballot, specifically to amend the city charter. DC3 is to amend the city charter around what we're what they're calling best value purchasing. And the other one is related to, it just says emergency, but it's specifically around emergency <laughs> spending. So all three of these things are related to a water main break that happened uh, on the, what, what do we call that chunk of town? Around Jackson and Maple. Just the west side. West side, the west side mm -hmm. of town. Um, big water main break on June 22nd. A portion of the city was under a boil water advisory for 48 hours. It was, it was bad news. And it was in an area where work was already being done. And the criticism that we've been hearing from some of our leaders is that the way the city charter is set up, it requires, it requires us to go with the lowest bid, regardless of the quality of that bid, regardless of things like hiring practices. And so the goal of DC3 would be to allow council to make a decision based on the best value, which would include price, but also things like quality. Um, DC4 is because basically there, an emergency happened and we needed to change a contract really quickly in order to address it. And so there may be situations where we, we want the city administrator to be able to approve a change to a contract without going through the time it would take to get it before city council. And so this would allow for those kinds of approvals in cases of emergency. And then that contract amendment is to deal with the existing contract that was involved in the water main break. So all of this is around better governance, I would say. It was prompted by this specific um, emergency, this specific failure, but I think these seem like good changes to me, especially this idea of a best value, making a best value determination instead of a like lowest bid determination. And I just think it's interesting that these are in the charter and that we have to, we have to actually take it to the voters to um, to change the city charter in order to make these shifts that seem to me to be about governance in a way that I don't I don't know that I would have expected it to be in the city charter. Um, right, that feels kind of like a staff policy bullet. Right, but it's it's going to have to go to the voters. So in another I don't know, I guess it would be this fall November. The yeah, I think the all the charter amendments that I saw on the council agenda are slated to go um, to the ballot November twenty twenty one. Right. So in November, you'll get a chance to vote on these um, these changes to the city charter. And then, oh, am I doing DC5 too? No, I'm going to do it. I realized that I had forgotten to say that I wanted to talk about DC5, which is another amendment to the city charter. This one is called the resolution to order election and to determine ballot question for amendment to the part of the city charter related to the $25,000 limit. I'll, I'll talk about the specific one in a moment, but I wanted to speak a little bit more broadly for just a second about why this is an ordinance about a ballot question. So the one of the checks and balances of our local democracy is that city council, our elected officials, politicians, cannot change the city charter. By and large, I think that this is a great thing. It means that the, the 
elements of our city that are really core and central to how we operate are not politically vulnerable in, in ways that are easy to get at. I think that that's fantastic. It does mean that changes are really sticky. They're, they're hard to make, they're slow to make. And typically voter education on charter amendments can be challenging because this is really in the weed stuff. So what this means is that if a charter amendment needs to be done, we have to go directly to voters to do it. And these, Molly, did you say there were four charter amendments on this agenda? That's right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yes. So what council is saying is that we have identified these opportunities in the city charter where our language does not currently reflect our practice or best practice, three, three charter amendments, thank you. And so what they're doing is setting up a proposal for three ballot questions that would, you know, as we mentioned, go to voters in November. I don't entirely understand the ballot process um, when it originates in city council, but it's my understanding that if there's a certain amount of uh, support on city council, that it does not have to go out for like a signature gathering or a petition process, that it just goes straight from the council table to the ballot. Uh, and so that's what this is. Right. They have these have seven vote limit their requirements, the minimum. Okay. So not a not a straight majority, but not a super majority either. Interesting. Correct. Yeah. We should call it a minor majority. It should have another fun name. Right. Anyway. Uh we'll we'll play with that later. So I just wanted to talk about that. And part of the reason that I'm calling that out is that I think that's a super interesting process or governance point. I am reminded uh, one of my civic heroes as I was starting to get into politics and civics and trying to understand things said that the government when run well is really boring. And I just keep coming back to that uh, as it really is kind of a metric of success that the more your eyes glaze over, the more that people are doing things right. And so like, I hope that I made you like check the time or scroll your Instagram or like whatever for a second because it means we're doing things right. So this particular amendment I wanted to call it out because I'm excited to see it because I've actually criticized this before on the podcast. This specific charter amendment would raise the, um, the contract amount or yeah, contract amount essentially that city council has to review the current um, floor is $25,000. And this is saying that it would raise the floor to $75,000. The reason that I have criticized this is because we're not talking about budget amendments. We are talking about work and dollars that have been approved through the annual budget process, which we have talked about extensively here. So this is yet another time to put eyes on, yet another time to fight over something that's already been decided. Council's time, in my opinion, this is not a good use of council's time. This is not a good use of staff time. And in general, it causes worse outcomes, even if by and large, most of these are rubber stamped. Many of them aren't, uh, and and that just it causes a fair amount of unpredictability on the staff side, which is detrimental to the operation of a smoothly running municipality. So raising the floor from twenty five thousand dollars to seventy five thousand dollars, I took a look into the staff memo around uh, around this, and what they were saying is that forty eight percent fewer contracts would come to council in the consent agenda, which is awesome. And it will also save close to a thousand hours of staff time over the course of a year, which is phenomenal. So many hours. That's so many, so many hours. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. So just imagine the awesome new things we're going to be able to get done with that reclaim time. So in addition to raising the floor, this ballot 
question would also allow council in the future to adjust this amount related to inflation by ordinance rather than needing to do another charter amendment. And I really like that they're building this flexibility in. Initially, I wasn't sure about defining the reason for change as related to inflation. I felt like that was too restrictive. But actually, I really like it because what it means is we can respond fairly flexibly to the natural flow of time and our economy. If there is another reason to change the floor, they would have to go back to the voters. And on reflection, I actually am in support of that. It, it does handicap council a little bit, but I think that that's a productive check and balance. Right. Well, when we think about something like the... Um approvals of lane changes, which had been just a staff decision. And then a council that wanted to block bike lanes basically took away that ability from staff and it was really regressive and it slowed everything down and it took away something that we needed. And so I can imagine um, a certain kind of majority on council wanting to wrest back approval control over like every little budget thing because their goal isn't um, effectiveness. They have other goals. Um, so yeah, I agree that that would be, I think that that's a good way to do it. Nice. So I'll be curious to see, my guess is that these charter amendments are going to move forward without a lot of, um, uh, I, I don't want to say debate because they probably will talk about it, but my guess is these are going to move forward with fairly broad support. My curiosity at this point is I'm wondering how people are going to do voter education because we don't see charter amendments that often. It's confusing. And these are minor in terms of the voters, but very consequential in terms of the city, its operation. And so like getting to a yes is important. And I'm just curious how folks are planning to reach out, who they're planning to talk to, how they're planning to say, this is what we're doing and why. And we hope that the voters can support us. I'm curious about that. Yeah. All right, I think we did the things. Yeah, this was a pretty light agenda, although there were a lot of little things we wanted to talk about today. Yeah, all right, so thank you to our listeners and those of you who have supported us on our, we're agnostic about it, but let's just call it coffee. <laughs> if you haven't sent a few dollars and you'd like to, to help us cover hosting, you can find us at www.ko-fi.com slash Ann Arbor AF. And that is it for this episode of Ann Arbor AF. We are your co-hosts, Molly Kleinman and myself, Chesley Ta, and of course, Michelle Hughes in Absentia, and thanks to our producer, Jack Jennings. For questions about this podcast or ideas about future episodes, you can email us at annarborafpod at gmail.com. Get informed, then get involved. It's your city. <laughs>